Good evening, everybody. Turn your Bibles to 1 Peter. So tonight we're going to go over one verse, and it's a really important one. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 13. He says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Father, we come before you in prayer, asking that you uh, would powerfully uh, move and pierce hearts with your word. I ask, Lord, that you would um, fill us with awe and wonder at who you are and what you have done for us. As we come to this verse, verse 13, this big therefore, After the first 12 verses, Lord, of uh, all the things that you have done for us, now we receive uh, the imperative, the command, the first command of this letter. And I pray, Lord, that you uh, would help us seek you and seek your strength, seek your power to enable us to accomplish this that Peter is asking of us. I pray that you'd help us tonight. Transform our hearts and our minds. Help us to love you more. Help us to enjoy you more. Increase our faith. Help us, Lord. In your name, amen. So, like I kind of just prayed, man, it's like half the room is over here. Or more than half. It's like, big old gap. No one wants to sit in the middle. Um, But anyways, so, this verse, as I said already, it's a really important verse. It's a big therefore uh, and all the first, uh, the first five weeks, however many weeks we've had so far, we've gone over verses 1 through 12, and these have all been, uh, God has done this, over and over and over again. God has done this, God has done this, God has done this, God has done this, God has done this. And then we get all the way to verse 13, and he says, therefore, now he, we have a command from Peter for us to do something. So it's, it's, Funny he set up his letter this way because really that's how Christianity and that's how faith works. We receive uh, everything as a gift from God. It's all been given to us. God's done this. God's done this. God's done this. All these things that indicatives that God has done. And now here's the faith. Here's the, uh, here's the obedience and, the, and the, um, living out the Christian life. And so uh, as, we, as I'm going to go through here, I want to go through and kind of highlight a lot, a lot of the things that we've gone over already. Um, and kind of refresh our minds of all the things that God has done for us uh, before we get into the, um, the uh, imperative that Peter is, uh, the instruction. This is the first command that we get out of this entire letter, uh, 13 verses in. And so starting in verse 1, uh, back from week 1 with AJ, you see, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. So we are, he's, Peter is writing to Christians and he's saying, you have been elect, and then in, and go down to verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So this is a gracious thing from God. This is what God has done. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit. So he's given us his Spirit to sanctify us for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. By his blood we've been cleansed from sin. Then moving to verse 3. This is, remember this doxology, this praise. Blessed, blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has lavished great mercy on us. 
And he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Again, this is uh, all God so far. We haven't gotten to anything with man. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And again, you've got to keep hope in your mind when we're going through 1 Peter. All of 1 Peter is hope, 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 hope. And what are you hoping in? You're hoping in what God has done for you now and what you have now and what you're heading towards. You're heading towards glorification and seeing Christ for who he is. So we keep going. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. He's done this for you. This has purchased your living hope. It's purchased you being born again. Now in verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Again, we have this inheritance that we have been given by God through Christ's death on the cross. And we have this inheritance now. Though it's an inheritance and we're waiting to uh, inherit it, we still have it now. We know as believers we have it now. And it will be perfected. We, it will be Uh, It will come to us, as we'll see later in the next couple verses. It says, kept in heaven for you. Again, this is God. God is keeping it in heaven for you, your inheritance. Then it says, who by God's power, this is you, you are being guarded by God's power, or you are being, uh, uh, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. The faith that he has given you is is keeping you, and it's, uh, it's by God's power that you are being guarded. And for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Again, this is a lot of now language about this. these are things that you have now. And they're also kind of a taste and a foreshadow of what's coming and what's in store. And he says, uh, in this, in verse 6, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So uh, we went over this already that we, have, uh, we can rejoice in trials and sufferings. Remember, these Christians are uh, experiencing trials, and that's not necessarily you know, the uh, physical um, persecution or the beatings or the enslavements or put, being put in prison, all those things. All those things happen, but it's, think more so of trials of the Christian life, everyday struggle, everyday temptation to sin, everyday temptation to, um, to fall back and not seek after God, not uh, pursue your Christian walk, not obtain your outcome of salvation. You know, every morning you wake up and you have struggle to get that joy and that love and that, um, and that endurance for the everyday Christian life. These are all things that are strengthening your faith. These are things that God is sovereign over and we are experiencing and it is strengthening our faith. Our faith. This is a gift from God. And it says, uh, you, the, um, so that the test of genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, this is strengthening our faith for what is to come. Then in verse 8 uh, through 9, this is the last uh, two weeks ago, it says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. This is, your, this is your experience now as Christians. You love him now. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. These are all things that God has done for you through his Son. You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Remember, two week, from two weeks ago, uh, this is what you have now. You, right now you have a joy, a love, and you have a faith in Christ that are yours now and are increasing. And then once we get to glorification, they will be uh, glorified. They will be perfected because we will see Christ for who he is. We will see him with our physical eyes. And all these things will be um, brought to the fullest. We have the greatest joy, the greatest love, and obviously the greatest faith because you can't f- have faith in something that you 
um, see, because you'll see it, and you won't need, there will be no need for faith anymore. And so then we see in verse 9, we are right now obtaining the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls, because of all the last verses, all what God has done. And last week, uh, Jeremy went over, concerning the salvation, uh, 10 through 12, and it's all about the prophets who prophesied about the things that were to happen to you, the spirit that was going to come, and the spirit that you were going to be given, the good news, and then the things that angels long to look at. Angels are longing to look at this, that's this salvation process, this redemption process. You start as a rebellious sinner, and God comes and saves you, and now you're being transformed into his likeness. These are all glorious things that God is doing for you. And Peter wants to reassure us of all these things. He said, think about all these things. And now he gets to verse 13. He says, therefore, or since all of that, all that we just went over, all that God has done, since then, since all that, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So as I said we have it's it's this is like a hinge verse this is a this is what God has done now as you'll see throughout the rest of the letter it'll be full of commands and full of imperatives even in the next couple of verses it gets very specific um, and, and calls us to be holy as he is holy and so it's all from here on out it's a lot of uh, indicatives and imperatives mixed in but at, up until this point it's been all indicatives it's been all statements of fact and truths that God has done and now we've reached our first imperative, our first command, which is, and the command is, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I think it's interesting that Peter gets to a point, and it's, and it's not even really necessarily like he's saying, okay, now, uh, necessar- it's not really like a, okay, now obey, or now do this. It's set your hope on these things. So it's 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 it is a command, but it's like a it's like a, a just something more, even more so to increase your joy. It's like here's all what God has done for you. Now what I'm asking you to do is just think on these things, set your mind on these things, hope in these things. And so um, what I want what I want to do tonight is I want to go through uh, kind of chunks of this verse at a time and kind of explain what Peter is saying, and then I want to finish tonight with uh, with an exhortation and. Um, and I want to get really practical. I don't want to get too practical because throughout the rest of the letter, it's going to be really practical. Like if you just read a little bit ahead, it'll be talking about um, as obedient children don't be conformed to the passions of your former years. It'll get really, really like specific on specific things that you need to do later. So I don't want to go too far into that. But I do want to make it practical. How do we set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us? And again, I'll do that at the end. But for now, I want to go to the phrase, preparing your minds for action. What does Peter mean by preparing your minds for action? If any of you has a, a King James Version, which I don't know if any of you do, the, your, your version would read, uh, gird up the loins of your mind. So what in the world does that mean? What does girding up your loins mean? And so this is a reference, uh, this is a reference back to Exodus chapter 12. When the Passover was coming, the last uh, plague on Egypt, and his, uh, the, the Lord's instruction to Moses was, tell your people to eat their last meal in Egypt with their loins girded up. And so now what does that mean? So the image 
is back in the day, they'd wear their long robes. They had their robes. And what they would do is literally hike up their, gird up their, uh, it's not a skirt, but their robe, and help them be able to move, be able to go, be able to have action, and have nothing hindering them. Can you imagine trying to run with a, with a robe on? You can, you know, I'm sure women know that more than we, men do, but you know, it's, it's hard to move. He's saying, he's saying, take up the things that are distracting you and hindering you from going. And so this is the uh, idea, and that's what, that's what Israel did. And when the last plague came, they ate, and they left. They listened to the command. They prepared their minds, and they left. Or they prepared their, um, they girded up their loins. Uh, we see also this in Luke 12. If you want to flip over Luke 12. Luke 12, verse 35. Luke 12, verse 35. We see, this is Jesus, we see this is Jesus saying, stay dressed for action. This is the same phrase. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home. The idea here is uh, stay ready. Stay ready for, for the, the, coming. the coming. In this context, it's for the coming Back of Christ, stay ready, keep your lamps burning. Be ready to, when he comes, to be gone, to go, to be ready to be moved to action, to be ready, not limited or impaired by anything. Um, we see also uh, in Matthew 24, it's a similar idea. It's talking about the, uh, the, the parable of the ten virgins. And it's talking about uh, Matthew 24, or excuse me, 25. And he's talking about, uh, he, he says in here, it's talking about the, the, the women with the uh, oil and their lamps. And there's, there's the, the wise women brought extra oil to keep their light burning. That way they could go with the Son of Man when he came back and returned and he could leave. But they were ready. They were preparing. And those who weren't ready ran out of oil. And so then they were like, when the, I mean, when the Master came back, when Christ came back and returned, they were like, oh shoot, we're out of oil. We need to go get more oil. But there was five wise women who had the oil, and they were able to go. And then by the time the other ones came back and had to re- go back and buy oil, the door was shut, and they couldn't enter in. And so the idea here is we've got to be ready. We've got to be prepared. We have to gird up. We have to remove the restrictions so we can go, and so we can do this. And so now back in First Peter, we see uh, him telling us, gird up the loins of your mind. He's saying, take away things that hinder you. Again, our, our, command, our command here is to set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you. Set your mind on things that are above. And the two, uh, and the two things he mentions, preparing your mind and being sober-minded, are like two things that kind of come together with that. So the goal is set your mind on uh, the hope that you have at the revelation of Jesus Christ, and the two things, uh, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, kind of come alongside you and almost like help you achieve that end. And so preparing your minds for action is the first one. And again, you've got to think about being ready to move and being ready to act, being ready to, uh, to fight and kind of have the spiritual, uh, exert spiritual energy daily to kind of do this thing. It's not an overnight thing. Be ready to obey, be ready to move and act based off of, and again, this is all this based off of what Peter has just went over. All these things that God has done for you, now that you have those, gird up the loins of your mind. Be ready to act. Be ready to move. Be ready to obey. We also have in here the taking away of things that hinder you. 
So not only do we have gird up your loins so you can move, but gird up your loins so you can get rid of the things that are hindering you, the things that are keeping you from moving. So it's like a positive and a kind of a negative connotation towards it, whichever way you want to look at it. But it's removing the things that hinder you. So you want to set your hope on things that are above. You want to set your hope at the revelation of Christ. You want to think on the things that Peter has just went over in the first 12 verses. And you want to remove the things that are hindering you. What's hindering you? What's hindering you from achieving to keep your mind on things that are above? Again, think back to a couple weeks ago when I said that we have a joy filled with glory. That means a heavenly joy. We are taking part in heavenly joys now on this earth. And so what's hindering you? What's keeping you uh, pulled down on this earth? What is keeping you from freeing your mind to think on Christ and, and, all the, and what you're doing, by the way, when you're thinking on Christ and you have your mind set on the hope and the joy when Christ returns, it makes this world seem so trivial and not and insignificant. It makes your problems and your, the temptation and all that stuff seem so much uh, less... Um, you know, you don't want to give in to them near as much because you know you have a much better treasure. Think about if you had your hope set on the return of Christ and the glories of what he's done for you all the time. Then you would be approached with sin and you'd be like, that's not even worth comparing. If I have a joy that's uh, a heavenly joy, why would I mess around with this stuff? Why, you know what I mean? And the temptation and, 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 even, and that could even go, it goes beyond temptation to even uh, things in life. If bad things happen, you lose your, you lose your job you get in a car accident, whatever the case may be, if you have your hope set on eternal reality, if you have your hope set on the revelation of Christ, then these things seem so uh, trivial, really. They just seem like nothing in comparison. They're only minor things that happen for a moment, and your life passes. Your life passes in a moment, let alone an accident on uh, a Monday or, a, or losing your job. These things are temporary. And so Peter wants us to set our minds... Think, be elevated above this earth to ha- enjoy uh, a taste of heavenly gifts now, enjoys now, and be experiencing sanctification. So, gird up the loins of your mind. Be ready for action. Be ready to move. Take away hindrances. And then he also accompanies that with being sober-minded. We have a similar idea here, but think about the opposite of being sober-minded. It's being intoxicated or drunk. You're all foggy, you're blurry, you can't, you're not thinking clearly, you're not alert, you're not focused, you're intoxicated, you're, you're drowsy, whatever the case may be. You're filled, and think about it this way, filled with or intoxicated with things of this world. So are we intoxicated with things of this world? Are they keep, is that keeping us from setting our hope on things that are above? Are you intoxicated with um, entertainment? Or people, maybe? Are, you, you know, are things getting in the way of your relationship with, with Christ and with, and with thinking on things that are above? Is it weighing you down? Is it pulling you down to this earth? You've got to be alertly watchful or, vi- or um, vigilant. Things that make you uh, intoxicated are things that make you numb to spiritual realities. Uh, sometimes after watching a movie you probably shouldn't have watched, you're, you're like... Uh, now it's almost like you feel kind of dirty or impure. You can't really worship God like you should. You kind of have to work back, work a little extra hard to get back in that frame of mind where you feel like really uh, filled with the Spirit and in tune and connected and in communion with God. It shouldn't be that way. We shouldn't ha- we shouldn't feel or be intoxicated with things like that. 
We should free ourselves from that and be sober from those and be, have a clear mind and clear goal. I want to set my hope on things that are above. I want to uh, seek uh, Christ at his, revelation, as, as his uh, coming. Think about the fool. The fool has no hope. The foolish man has no future hope, no future glory, no future to look forward to. Life is meaningless. Therefore, enjoy the world. Just get drunk if you want, party if you want. Do whatever makes you happy on this earth because you only have one life. So you might as well just enjoy it. That's the opposite of what Peter is trying to say. Kind of, that's, that's exactly why uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that we are most, Christians are most to be pitied if Christ hadn't, is, didn't raise from the grave. If we have no hope, we have no salvation, if our hope is in vain, then we are most people to be pitied because we didn't enjoy this earth. I would argue we have a better joy as Christians. And that's obvious. The fool is only hiding the fact that he has no hope. He's blurry, he's intoxicated with things of this world. So the next thing is set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, This idea of hope fully is like completely, have a complete hope or a perfect hope. This hope will be, a, again, this hope will be a common theme throughout. You'll see it over and over and over again. You'll see him saying, uh, the devil is seeking someone to devour, therefore be sober-minded. That's in chapter 5. Be sober-minded, be alert, always on the lookout for sin and for things to creep in and try to intoxicate you or drag you down and not have you set your mind on things that are above. This is how you enjoy God and all, of his, all that he has done for you. If you're setting your mind, again, if you're setting your mind on things that are above and you're awaiting the, the coming of the Lord, the things of this world seem so small and insignificant. And again, this is, this is exactly what the people Peter are writing to, Peter's writing to and what we need because they're suffering Christians. They're experiencing trials. They're, whether they're new Christians in the faith or not, they're experiencing the daily struggle of sanctification, the daily uh, temptation to enjoy the pleasures of this world rather than seeking things that are above. You'll have more joy in seeking things that are above. This is how you overcome sin and endure to the end. You persevere through having your mind set on the goal. Peter is trying to elicit true, genuine faith that clings to promises and elevates us above this world. He gave you uh, in the first 12 verses all that God has done for you and he's saying cling to these. Think about these things. Set your mind on these things and it'll keep you from temptation. It'll keep you from the trials of this world. So now I want to um, for the next half of the sermon I want to go over uh, exhortations to hope or reasons that we should be hopeful First, I want to address, I don't want to be too quick to assume that everyone has this hope. Woe to him who has no hope. Wandering about, not knowing what tomorrow will bring. Not knowing when his joy will run out. He's enjoying this world, he's living life. And he has no idea how fragile life is. 
No idea that in a, in, a, in a moment, all of his joy, all of his life will be gone. Again, we think back to the parable of the uh, ten virgins. When the five virgins came with their oil, they said, I got my oil now. Christ was gone. He was with the other ones who were wise and they, were sta- and they stayed ready. And the door was shut. And he said, I, never, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. They weren't ready. Not realizing they're the, the fool who has no hope. The one who has no hope in here, maybe. They don't realize that the grace of God will soon be removed from his life. God has one hand on his wrath, and he's beckoning the sinner to come. We kind of talked about this two weeks ago. The, the offer is available for hope and for joy now and a future greater joy that's perfected and much better. And the offer is there. And the fool, doesn't, the fool doesn't realize that soon that will be gone. And there will be no time left to repent and turn to Christ. The gates of heaven will be shut forever. Leaving him on the outside to perish in, eternal, in the eternal abyss. And what might even be worse is the Christian. The Christian who has no hope. Maybe some of you in here who don't feel like you have any hope. What a tragedy that is. Who lives his life as if he has no treasure in heaven. You have no assurance of your salvation. You're constantly tossed around and you don't, you don't, you don't realize the promises and that you're being kept by God. And he's caused you to be born again. And he's keeping you and he's guarding you. To not set your hope on the assurity of the revelation of Christ, the, the knowing that you will one day be glorified, you will have, you do have an eternal possession waiting for you and it's being kept for you. To not have this is like having a treasure, uh, millions of dollars in your backyard. You literally have millions of dollars in your backyard and someone comes up into your door, knocks on your door and says, hey, you know you got a bunch of money buried in the back of your backyard? And you go, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. And you're suffering with all kinds of, you know, debt or who knows what. You have a, you have a great treasure, the assurance of salvation, the hope and reality of the coming glories, and you're not taking advantage of them. And the next exhortation to hope. Do you not see the war raging on inside of you? The enmity between the flesh and the spirit? The flesh never sleeps, John Owen says. It's always after you. Don't rest for a second thinking you have a moment's peace. It's always after you. It's always trying to get you into sin and into trouble. We see in chapter 5 of 1 Peter, Satan is seeking someone to devour. There is much need to have a hope and a treasure and a clear mind set on eternal realities. The world is seeking to intoxicate you, to lure you in. Think of the adulterous woman, the adulterous woman in uh, Proverbs 5. That could relate to literally an adulterous woman or it could be 
things in this world that are trying to entice you, trying to pull you away from the goal. The goal, the upward call, finishing your race. It's like you're sitting in a, in a house that's on fire. Do you not see the war that is raging, the spiritual warfare, the battle? You have much reason to hope. Another exhortation to hope. Isn't God faithful to fulfill his purpose and plan? Don't we know, haven't we seen through scripture all the faithfulness of God? Isn't that reason, is is God a liar? Isn't that reason to hope and to trust in him, to cling to him? Do you believe in him? Do you trust him? Consider, consider his faithfulness. Think on these things. Consider his faithfulness, what he's done for you in the first 12 verses. Is this not reason to hope? Is this not reason to jump and shout for joy? That the assurance, the salvation, that these, these sufferings and these trials are momentary. And really, they're not only momentary, but they're serving to increase your joy, increase your faith. This is reason to hope. And it is for your joy to hope in him. And what he has done. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that it's for your hope? To set your mind on things that he's done. To set your minds on things that are above. Set your mind on the, at the revelation. The grace that is going to come at the revelation of Christ. Romans 8 says. To set the mind on the flesh. Is death. But to set the mind on the spirit. Is life and peace. We all want life and peace. The last exhortation to hope is you can honor God and please him because of what he has done for you. Again, we, we see all the glorious truths that God has done, freely given to us. Blessed be God for doing these things. According to his great mercy, it caused us to be born again. Ought we not to honor him and glorify him with our actions and our thoughts? Don't you think he delights and when we set our hope in him, and we are hoping in him, hoping, excited for the coming of his son, and not drugged down by, or pleased and entertained by the things of this earth and the things of this world. So now, I wanna, as I come to a close tonight, I want to get more practical. I want to kind of nail down, kind of help you. Um, I can't just tell you, set your mind on things that are above, and then say, see you later. I want to kind of want to get more practical. I want to give you something to kind of grip a hold of and something to start moving in this right direction. But first I want to let you know that it doesn't, have, it doesn't happen overnight. You can't expect tomorrow to have a state of mind that is constantly thinking about the glories of what God has done for you and, and what's to come. You can't, it doesn't happen overnight. It's a mindset. It's a state of mind. And, I, and a lot of these... You'll hear and you'll be like, oh, okay, I've heard this before. Read your Bible, pray, blah, 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 yeah, yeah. But are you doing it? There's no more excuses. So the first practical thing is, and these are gifts. This is a gift. The gift of prayer. Start with prayer. Maybe even fast if you have to. 
Do you want real joy, real peace? Think about it. If you really want it, you're going to be begging God for it. Do you really want it? Or are you just like, yeah, I, I, sure, I'll, you know, I'd, rather, I'd like to have hope. Yeah, sure. Real communion with God is available. It's a gift. Seek it. Ask for it. Real hope to endure, to endure through trials and through temptation and struggle of Christian life. It's available. The second practical way. These are practical things that you can do. You can start with a daily walk with Christ. The second thing is uh, meditate on the truths of God's word. I get this from uh, verse 14. It says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. What's your former ignorance? Before you were saved. Before you realized these truths. These glorious truths from uh, verse 1 to 12. This is meditating on the truth of God's word. How are you ever going to have a hope and set your mind on things that are above if you're not in God's word? Start small if you have to. Start small. Read a chapter a day. It's so important. It's more important than eating a meal. Daily reading, meditating on the Word of God. That's why do you think Deuteronomy, uh, I don't remember the chapter, but Deuteronomy talks about writing the Word of God, writing the law on the doorposts of your house and the front lids of your eyes, constantly thinking about it, constantly filling yourself with it. This gives you hope. This gives you a mindset that is set on heavenly things and eternity, and it gives you greater joy as you're obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. It helps you overcome sin and the trials and the struggles. Those two are so crucial. And they're always, they're always the first thing that, that um, you're told to do, and they're always neglected. Prayer and reading the Word of God. Daily meditation. Number three is remove distractions. Be sober. Gird up your loins. Don't waste hours on your phone. Don't watch things that come between you and God. Things that hinder your relationship with Him. Things that keep you back. Maybe it's someone you're hanging out with. Maybe you're hanging out with the wrong people. And when every time you're around them, it's like you're being held, held back. You're not able to honor God and glorify God with your behavior. Maybe you're sleeping in too long. Again, these are really practical things. Maybe you're, sleep, maybe you're staying up super late and sleeping in rather than going to bed a decent time and waking up and getting in the Word. What does this look like in your life? It's going to be different in everyone's. Everyone has things, distractions that are keeping them. You know, Hebrews 12 says, set aside every weight and sin. That the things that keep you from running, keep you from your goal, keep you from setting your mind on things that are above and not on things that are on the earth. We need to consider. It's not a waste of time to, to just think and sit and think about how you're spending your time. To sit and think about the time wasted. It's easy to say, oh, I don't have time. But think about the time that you're wasting throughout the day. 
could be a car ride. You, in your car ride, you could utilize, utilize uh, car ride times. Set your hope on things that are above. Set your hope on these first 12 verses. What God has done. He is faithful. What he has done to you. What hinders you. Number four. This, oftentimes we, we have this, um, I want you to realize that this is a mindset. And it doesn't happen overnight. A lot of times, often, uh, we'll think of like the Puritans and we'll think, man, those super Christians, they, they spent uh, 12 hours a day in the Word and in prayer and they were constantly doing this. And we have this imaginary goal that we have to set. But it's not practical for me to tell you or for you to think, okay, that means I've got to spend four hours in prayer and four hours in... It's not, it's not really practical. Think about the... And this is why I mentioned the Puritans because they had a piety and they had a faith that was everything they did was in a mindset that is focused on eternity. Going to work, they were focused on, okay, I'm, I'm glorifying God with how I'm working. You're, you're constantly in a state of mind. Again, this doesn't happen overnight, but it's, a, but it's something that you start small with and you build to. This is what the Puritans did. They weren't, they weren't uh, now, I'm not saying don't spend four hours in the Word if you have time. But it's a mindset. It's a, it's a walking through the grocery store, seeing things, that, and you're reflecting on God. You have the Word of God stored up in your heart, and you're thinking about it, and you're meditating, and you're, you're being elevated above this, this earth. And the things that happen to you seem much more trivial and meaningless. An oversimplistic form of what I'm trying to get across is think more about God than you think about the world. Again, this is, these are things that we have to do, but these are, it's, it's so crucial. Prayer and uh, Bible intake. You've got, you've got to spend time in this word. And you've got to pray that it, that it lands in your heart. As I come to a close, I want to uh, draw your attention to Philippians 4. This is a great place to wrap up. Philippians 4, uh, starting in verse 4. As uh, Paul is drawing his letter to a close... He gives an exhortation, encouragement, and, and a prayer. Philippians 4, verse 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord, always. Again, I say rejoice. How are you going to rejoice if you don't know what He's done for you? Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then he says, and this is what I want to encourage encourage you with, finally, brothers, you can't go wrong, memorize this verse. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, the word of God is true. The first 12 verses of 1 Peter is true. Whatever is true, what God has done for you, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, 
whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Set your mind on things that are above. Set your mind on Christ and what he's done. Set your mind on God and who he is. Refuge, God is worthy and he has purchased for you a great salvation. Think on these things and be filled with joy and hope, waiting for the coming of Christ, hoping in the coming of Christ, being filled with joy, knowing that you will attain an eternal inheritance. You will dwell and have perfect communion with God. Think on these things. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so grateful for your word. What a gracious, gracious gift. It lets us know of your faithfulness from Genesis to Revelation. It gives us the great truths of what you've done for us, sending your son to die, causing us to be born again giving us great hope and joy here and now, and then also uh, the truth that it will be glorified and it will be perfected, and we will have ultimate lasting joy when we are glorified. I pray, Lord, that we would see the importance that Peter is trying to draw out in us, that we need to set our hope on things that are above. The rest of this letter is going to be all about our hope In chapter 3, be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you. You've got to be acting differently in order for somebody to come up to you and ask you that. So I pray, Lord, that we would be filled with hope. We'd be filled with the joy of salvation. We'd have a firm conviction and assurance of the faith and of your coming again. I pray that you'd give us this hope so that we may crush temptation, crush sin, deny our flesh, deny ourselves and take up our cross, seek the things that are above. Lord, help us do this. I pray that the Holy Spirit would pierce hearts. I pray that small groups would be so fruitful. I pray that we would go, we'd leave this place and we'd set our hope on things that are above and not on things of the earth. Help us, Lord, as we go. In your name, amen.